Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Welcome back to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. What, what? What, what? <laughs> uh, it's me, Zach, as always, and with me is... Jared. Jared, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm a big March Madness basketball fan that's going on right now mm-hmm. i love filling out a bracket watching all the tournament games this is always a special time of the year yeah it's a really exciting time of the year we are currently here today in the deadbolt mystery society studio um, if you've never played a deadbolt game you totally should but other than that jared do you want to tell the people what we played this week yeah we had the really cool opportunity to play the new cold case series from think fun Really interesting game for a number of different reasons, which we're going to talk more about, but think your standard murder mystery in a box or in a file folder type of game. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, We'll stick with us. We're going to talk about it here in a bit. Jared, how do they do it? How do they do what, man? Scarlet Envelope every month sends me a new game with a new story and new formatting, but it all works so well. Dude, I know. It's like one month I'm catching a serial killer in the 50s. Right? But then when another one, we had to stop the second galaxy war. I know. And then the next month, I'm trying to rescue a dragon in the medieval kingdom. It's just crazy that every month they keep sending out a new game that also leads up to like this crazy secret society element. It's a gift. I don't know how they do it. But here's what I do know. If you want to go to scarletenvelope.com and use code PUZZLINGCOMPANY, all one word, you can get $10 off their catch-up bundle, which is a whole series of 13 games. Or you could just sign up monthly and journey with it. They're so fun. I'm so excited for the next one. I can't wait. I don't know who that Zach guy is, but man, he just has such a good voice. I, I like listening to the ads every time. I'm not going to lie. I do think you have a really good podcasting voice. Thanks, man. I think you have a great voice, too. You didn't say for podcasting. You have and, a great voice, and too. I'm insulted. I hate my voice. If I'm being 100% real with everybody listening to this, I don't know if you're the same way out there listening. When I hear my voice back, it is cringe. I think that's everyone. I, I hate hearing myself. I joke that I like my voice, but it, you know what's funnier? It's like when you listen to it, it sounds 10 times worse in your own head than it actually is. Like I almost hear it and I go, it's me, Zach. <laughs> but there's no way that like Morgan Freeman listening to his own voice, he's got to be like, yeah, like that. <laughs> okay, well, he's like the special occasion. Okay, okay, that's fair. He's the exception to the rule. Yeah. That's fair. But no, um, we are back here in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio. Um, but today we are going to be talking about the cold case games from Think Fun. Oh, yes. We played a pinch of murder and a story to die for. Can we just start by saying I just really love the funny names? What, the pinch of murder? Uh, yeah, like every game has its own like funny little tagline. Yeah. I just think it's funny. I love little puns. Yeah, no, I, I liked it, and it obviously makes sense to the narrative of each of those cases. Um, but if you don't know what these are, um, they are cold cases, so they are cases that were not solved at the current time of the mystery, and we are two experts, you know, because we're experts in everything, apparently, as uh, Jared and Zach, but we were called to help solve these cold cases. One was in 1983, I think that's the one for a story to, or for a pinch of murder, and I think the other one's 1988, and I think that's that is the correct. That story is to correct. die for. One is about a old man 
who was uh, hit in the head and passed away. Um, he was murdered, Zach. He didn't pass away. He was murdered in cold blood. That's true, but there's more to that story than we know. Well, sure, but I just can't let you say that he just passed <laughs> he, he away. Just, he just goes... <sighs> he got hit on, on the, the head. He was okay. I mean, but he then was he, murdered. Someone but then he just him. decided to pass away. <laughs> he just decided that he wanted to lay down. No, and then A Story to Die For was about a private investigator who works for a, journal, a news journal, and... He tries to get some information on the local council, and uh, it doesn't go well for him. What's interesting about these games is they're one and dones. Yes. This game does not progress episodically like a, a killing affair or a murder and co or a hunt a killer. It is meant to wrap up its entire narrative arc in one sitting. Yes. Think more unsolved or cold case crackers. Yeah. Along those lines. But it had some unique factors to it, Zach, that I think we're going to get into when we talk about our likes and room for improvements that at the onset, I was really hesitant about because I knew about these things beforehand. Yes. But I'm super pumped to have this back and forth with you a little bit. But I, I say to you, kick us off, sir. What was enjoyable about these games? The first thing I really enjoyed about both these cold cases is that they are simple, but solid narratives. They aren't anything crazy. They don't try to throw like a million plot twists. It's a one solve case, you know, so it's supposed to wrap up pretty quickly. But they both felt really good. Like they both felt very realistic. It didn't feel like there was like a million plot twists where I learned that Jeremy the neighbor is also a serial killer. You know, like it doesn't feel like a, a, like I've went nine different directions yeah. of plot twists or like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Have you ever seen the, the Key and Peele where it's like a three-way standoff? Yes. And they're like, no, the sniper's actually asleep. Like, I totally agree with you. This is not that. And it was great that it was not that. Yeah, no, it, they were very simple. Like, you learn about each of the narratives, and then it's on you to look through a list of suspects and then try to figure out who had the most reason or motive to one to kill the person. But then also, like, discuss how it makes sense. Like, how could they have done it with all the alibis and the time? And they worked really well, like in A Story to Die For about the private um, investigator or whatever his name was that worked. I think his name was Andy. Which that's that's the game we played first, right? Correct. We played A Story to Die For first. Andy's trying to get information about the local council and a businessman named Nigel. If I remember, he owns like a bunch of land. In the There's a lot of narrative between all of them, but it's it's pretty simple. It's just figuring out like who killed Andy based on the information you're given. There's a bunch of information and papers and stuff that help you kind of make connections, understand fully what happened. And it felt really clean. Like we played through it. I understood the narrative pretty quickly. We played through it. I really enjoyed it. And it, it was great. And then the same thing in A Pinch of Murder. That one was a little bit more difficult, in my opinion, um, just because it was a little bit more of a challenge, I'm going to call it, quote unquote, to figure out the full motive because it's a little bit more hidden than in A Story to Die For. But it, it felt really good. Like it, both of them felt like they were realistic in terms of, I was like, didn't make me overthink and have a really good time like getting into the story. I agree. I think A Story to Die For is a great game if you're listening and you're very new. It's very straightforward in, in all of the best ways. And I don't, don't read that or hear that as easy. But I, I want to switch uh, up a couple of things to talk about this, Zach. But the, the thing that I want to talk about is what makes it good and what makes it strong is the, the style of progression. Because unlike a lot of the other games that we play in the crime, this game gives you every piece of information right when you start. And then instead of saying like, hey, don't open up this envelope until you've eliminated a suspect or until you've done X, Y, or Z. It's just like, here's everything. What are you going to do about it? 
Yep. These are the three questions that we need to know the answer to in order to reopen the case and potentially get a conviction. Yep. And that was nice because while linear progressions are really nice, I kind of have this immersive like beeper in my head saying like, it's not very, that's not how it really happens. Like yeah. in a cold case, like, yeah, you're just kind of have boxes on boxes of stuff and you're just kind of flipping through it, trying to make sense of it all. I think the other thing I really liked is that it didn't, I feel like in some of the games we play, we just get a million pieces of information and some of it doesn't feel as useful. Yes. This, everything was useful. It That's wasn't a ton really of paperwork. Point. It was like, I'm going to say there's like at most 30 pieces of information, including pictures. Although there were some times that we were definitely like, where is the picture? And you're like, I don't know where the picture is, man. Like you had it. I was like, no. And we're well, scrambling well, through the table. That's because of us being unorganized when sure. we play a game. And we play on a small table. <laughs> yeah. But I really liked that it felt that way that every piece of information we used, like when you do the solving mechanic of this game and you've gathered all the info from reading everything. Jared will tell you, I really enjoyed the Eureka moments we had because we had the time to sit down, read the like, let's say 20 pieces of information, discuss it. It wasn't crazy long. It's not like reading like 10 pages of someone's in interrogation. No. It's like two pages at most. Yes. Discussing it. And we like slowly built the narrative. And then when you get presented like three to five questions in both, in one case, you get five questions and the other one, you get three. You just hit the nail on the head of what I was trying to put into the words. There is a linear progression to this game, but it's your job to build it. Yes. That's not how you solve it, but it's your job to build it. And in other games, there is a more just obvious linear objective. Yes. And I liked this. Yeah. Like, what's your theory, Zach? Well, I think it's this. Hey, that fits in with what I'm reading over here. Like, so this happened and this happened. But why? Like, I don't know. It just it put us in a very authentic role I, I i liked it a lot i felt it a lot in a store to die for because like i said i think that one is if i had to put between the two i think the quote-unquote easier of the two cases in terms of narr narrowing down the main narrative of like okay who clearly did it or who would have the most motive because i think they pointed out to you pretty quickly if you just read into it more while a pinch of murder is i almost want to say it's the opposite where it feels like there's small details you catch on really but like making all the connections is like the hard part of it it was just fun. I really liked how the progression worked, like getting the questions. We read everything. And then at the end, we both went like, like I would go to Jared and be like, Jared, this is my idea after reading this. Like, you know, this person did it. And I think this person helped in some way. They clearly they made a, like a decision to say it exactly this way. They both went here, this happened, whatever. And it, it all made sense. And it was really fun to have those moments. And then in a pinch of murder, it wasn't as concrete like with how we figured out the narrative, but it was fun. Like us trying to make it make sense. And then having the moments where like, Oh, we're dumb. Like we forgot this. And like, there's that small piece of information on that paper. There's like, that would have clearly told us like mm. that happened, you know, or whatever. And that all of this wraps in the thing that we haven't talked about is how you complete this game. Yes. So at the very beginning, it says, here's the three or four questions that you need to answer. Yep. And then you have an online system to where you input that answer. But what's really unique about it is two things. And one of these, if you're one of our frequent listeners, there is no hint system along the way. There is a hint system. And kind of how that works is if you input a solution and it's incorrect, it's a drop down menu. So you're, you have limited options, I should say. Let's say Zach and I on the first one, we thought the killer was Barry, who's not a real character. And we put Barry in. It was like, oh, well, B Barry does have an alibi. You should go look at document X, Y, and Z to show that and maybe think of it. So it was this really interesting way of like, as soon as I heard that this game didn't have a hint system, I was already kind of, mm, you know, like 
Games need hint systems along the way. This one kind of took me by surprise because I liked how it functioned. Oh, agreed. I think it's simple enough that it cannot have a, a hint system. I think it's what I really took away from it because when we both talked about it, I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to like it if there's not a hint system. In terms of like, if someone really gets stuck on this. Yeah, because that's we, the ultimate frustration. But right? when we played both, I was like, I don't really need one. Like everything to a degree is pretty simple to add together. You you know, a lot of it in terms of like a pinch to murder, it is more about like making the small details connect. Yes. While in a story to die for, I feel like it's more presented to you. Like what really happened? And it's on you to like make the final few connections. Like I said, because of how simple the narrative and solid it was, I didn't really need like anything to like be like, oh, like you didn't read about the plot twist on this page. And you remember that Susie's actually like, over in Canada at the time of, you know, like all these like crazy things. You're like, no, I don't remember that. Like it's, it's fine. And then I think of how the solution system works. Like you said, with it basically giving you a hint, yes. it does exactly what it needs to do. Like that's, it does. I don't think you need more than that in this game specifically. The other unique part of it is I don't think the game expects you to be able to answer all of the questions at the end immediately. Yeah. It's, it's not like a, a test you're taking. Yeah. Right. And that was fun too, because I'm thinking of instances where, okay, the first question for both games was who is the killer, but it doesn't end there. Yeah. So you get to re revisit the game and look for things that you maybe have missed or, oh, that's why this document was in here to then answered more detailed questions so that it paints a full picture of the narrative. It's not like, oh, it was totally Barry. We win the game. It was, oh, it was Barry, and this is what happened, and this is why Barry did it. Yeah. And that was nice so that you could almost section off the game if you wanted to, to say like, okay, for today's sitting, we figured out who the murderer is. Let's set this game aside. We'll come back tomorrow and try to tackle question two it made the game more full and more enjoyable. And I, I just really enjoyed it. This game really just took me by surprise. It comes off. If I mean a hundred percent, it's like just another crime game. Yeah. It really looks like that. There's so many of these types of game out there, but this just game just balances so many things. Well, it took its different approach. Like we said, from the style of progression, from the way that they addressed hints and being stuck and giving you multiple pathways. I just really enjoyed it. Like sitting back as we're about to jump into our room for improvements. These things are minor yeah. at best. Some of them are honestly just like suggestions on ways that we think they could amplify what's already going well with what we've played. Yeah. Where would you start us off on that conversation, Zach? Yeah. One of the things I thought could be a room for improvement is the funneling of the questions in what do you mean both the that? games. So what I mean is in one of the games, the questions are in pretty similar order. It's essentially the very first question in both games was who did it? The second and third and fourth questions in the other two, in both games were different after that. So as an example, like in one, it's like, okay, who stole this item? And you go, okay, like it could be the killer. It could be someone completely different. Or why did this happen? Or how did they escape? And it felt really good. I felt like in a story to die for, like it felt like the very first question of who did it felt the easiest to answer. And then it felt like after that, the other two things were like, not hard to answer as well yes. after I feel like it was the opposite in a pinch of murder in terms of the two small detailed questions we solved pretty quickly. Uh, the second de small detail question, I think we struggled with for a second because we just weren't looking at a piece of info that would have made it easy. But like the, how the question works in the second game is it's less, it's not as easy to know who did it. Like there's, there are details that tell you like, okay, clearly this person is the only 
person who could have done it. Right. When we looked back at it, and I think that's partially our fault in terms of how we solved the game, but it it did feel like I almost wanted them to flip the questions. Yes. In that game specifically, than the opposite, because it just felt like if you got all the small things, it made it really easy to understand who did it. Yes. Because literally, it, when we re-looked through it, the two small details told us a lot about like why clearly the person did it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because... It felt like in A Story to Die For, like you said, it was very obvious pretty quickly who did it. Yeah. Figuring out why and answering some of the other questions then became more of a challenge as the game went on. Yeah. I think that is the better flow when you get the big win early, but then now you got your who, but now the what and the why and the how, that felt more enjoyable to Discovery than... We did. We struggled in a pinch of murder to, I think we had three or four incorrect guesses on who the murderer was. And then when we finally got it and dug through all the details, we were like, oh yeah, that's a hundred percent right. It was harder to find that. And then we did move quicker through it. So I think it's just, we've talked before about flow of difficulty through a game for these games, for one shot crime games. I think the more enjoyable route for a lot of people is as time goes hard, and if you're working through this style of system where you're asking questions, make it harder as it goes. Make the searching, the deductive, putting more together, the complex stuff. That was more fun, the way that that came together in a story to die for. There's nothing wrong inherently with the way that they did it. I'm speaking, speaking personally from like a personal enjoyment. That felt the better way to go. Yeah, we did guess the person wrong twice because I, I remember our first two guesses which one I felt like in the time without all the info for a pinch of murder clearly had the most motive and made sense why they could have done it. But they obviously I'm not gonna tell you who did it. And but why. The, yeah, but that's why like that's that's why we made those guesses because in, in a story in game, far, it felt very yeah, obvious. it was like, oh, yeah, this is the motive. And then the second one we got there and we're like, oh, that's that's like, a this different one clearly angle. has the most idea that they could have done it. But then like we missed a small info that goes like, yeah, clearly they couldn't have done it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was really it, though, in terms of that specific example. The other two things that we have are really, one, it's thinking about who this game is for. Cold Case comes in a small box, but realistically, it is like a lot of other games where it's a police-style folder that all of the contents are in. It is all paper. It is 100% paper. I do think they do a good job of switching up the paper types and giving you photos and different forms of tangibility in there. But at the end of the day... If you are looking for more than just a paper game, this is not your game. Even though I think it's really great. I think it's fantastic for the components that it does include. But if you want items, ephemera, like if you're looking for a more tangible experience, Cold Case just isn't the game for you. I think Murder & Co., Killing Affair, games that come in a bigger box, and if if that's more of your thing, go that route. But I just wanted to throw that out there because I didn't want other people thinking like, Oh, we're getting all of this, these tangible items, keepsakes, gifts, things like that. So that is just to be aware of. I do think this is a great game for the components that I use, and that's the mark of a great game, Mm -hmm. but just something to be aware of. The other thing is, I feel like there was some room to leverage some more technology in this game. Mm -hmm. Agree or disagree, Zach? I mean, I agree. It's not the biggest thing in the world, I think the example that you and I had discussed that we've seen in other games or that we've talked about about other games having an issue with is, or it's an an issue, but like a room for improvement. You have like this really solid technology, but then you 
provide info in the game that could be used with technology. So as an example, like we've talked about before, like phone numbers in games. Yeah. If you have these phone numbers and they are real, why not use them? Yeah. Why can't like, I, why can't I, I call, call it? Them. And why can't you make it where there's someone on the other line? Like we call a person or you make a joke, even if it's an Easter egg, I think it'd be hilarious to call one. And it's like a joke, like almost Easter egg or making fun of you for actually calling it. But it wasn't a huge deal. I mean, we only saw one of those in one of the games, but it was just a thing of like, this could be more. Yes. If you, you know, if you add that in, it could be an extra element of immersive gameplay. But outside that, I mean, it wasn't the biggest deal. The reason we bring it up is if this is a game that used zero internet connection to play, I don't think it would be fair to say that. But this game does require you to have either a mobile or a land-based home computer in order to input the answers and move through it. So if you're already assuming that your player has access to the internet, flex that. And again, I'm not mad that it wasn't in here, but I'm just looking to the future and I'm saying like, people are already going to the ThinkFun website. Let's build that out. Like you have this great tool that you can use that you're not using. Same thing with what you were saying about like the phone numbers. The game that we just covered last episode is a good example of this. ClueQuest in essence is a hybrid print and play digital game. And they flex the digital part hard at points. Yeah. Um, and I think that's wise because if that had just been a system where I was inputting my answer, that would have been one of my critiques is like, why aren't we doing cool things on your website in relation to what's going on with your print to play? But we did. So I, I think there's a lot of really cool ways to go. It's very clear to me that the creators of this game care. They're thinking about it. They're putting a lot of time and effort. And overall, I just didn't see this game coming. And I just thought it was exactly what you said. It is simple and it is simplicity. It is a very good game. Yeah. Agreed. That's really going to wrap us up for our first section. We have puzzles to the people coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for puzzles to the people. Man, I'm just really enjoying deadbolt mystery society games lately. They're just giving me a real sense of nostalgia. Yeah, I've been really enjoying them. My favorite part about them is they just feel balanced. You get a little bit of an escape room, a little bit of a murder mystery. It kind of reminds me of those cartoon TV shows I grew up on. Same. There's one I'm specifically thinking of. It kind of involves a dog and some humans in it. Oh, the Jetsons. I love that show. Okay, close but wrong. No, they kind of like solve mysteries together. Oh, Courage the Cowardly Dog. Okay, they don't solve mysteries. Courage literally does random things. Jared, I was specifically trying to tell you it's Scooby-Doo. That doesn't sound right. No, no, no. Blue's Clues. Okay, they are solving puzzles and mysteries, but no, 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 no. I'm talking about Scooby-Doo. Well, at least the good thing for our listeners is if you like adult Scooby-Doo, you can play a Deadbolt Mystery Society game. And when you want to go purchase one, you can put in the promo code PC15 for 15% off subscriptions and single one-time boxes. No, I've got it. It's Air Bud. Jared, that's a real-life dog that's not even animated, and he doesn't even solve crimes. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are here in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio. And like we always say, Deadbolt, kind of like Cold Case, is part murder game. So if you're sitting here and you're vibing on Cold Case, buy a Cold Case game and then give Deadbolt a try because they do some unique things within that space as well, especially their storytelling. Be sure to give them a try if you haven't. Now, in this section... Zach and I, historically, we've read reviews. We've asked people to send comments. We've talked about topics that are directly related to the games that we play. We're going to be taking things a little bit different today, just with everything that is going on in the world that we live in. 
think all of us listening to this are very aware of the things that are happening in Ukraine. And we are not going to be talking a whole lot about that other than that is the context for what we're about to talk about, which is another game that is out there and available to people. Right, Mm -hmm. Zach? Yeah. So the creators of Enigma Fellowship, Anuj and Ortsy, they took it upon themselves to create a game called a Magic Sunflower. It's a very simple print and play, beautifully well done game that they are donating all of the profits of this to UNICEF to aid in the humanitarian crisis that is going on in the Ukraine. And we thought it would be appropriate to take this middle section, talk about that game a little bit, and just to talk about what games mean a little bit during times like this. Again, our job is not to talk politics, our opinion on what is going on over there. We are here to talk about some really cool people doing some really cool things to aid in the help of the people of Ukraine, and just to talk about difficult times in general and what games can mean. So. If you are interested in getting this game, head over to enigmafellowship.com. It's called A Magic Sunflower. It's right there on their homepage. Pick it up, enjoy a game, and know that you are helping a cause. And then again, just really big shout out to Anuj and Ortsy for taking it upon themselves to use their skill set to help other people, which is kind of what I want to talk about a little bit. Zach, these I, I just love these people so much. They are always doing stuff like this. I just want to give them a shout out. Yeah, no, Anuj and Orsi do a lot for the community. I mean, they've sent us gifts. I know they send other people gifts during like the Christmas time, which super appreciate it. Like it was really nice to have some chocolates to eat early in the new year um, and snack on those. They've been very good people. And, and I mean, it clearly shows they care about people a lot. And this game is, a, is another perfect example of that. It's creating an experience for people to enjoy while times are hard, but also to help others um, who need it more. And, you know, I think games in general, board games, video games, any form of entertainment really is uh, very useful in times like these. You know, luckily enough um, for both of us, we've never had to experience anything that's going on in the Ukraine. Sure. Um, We're very lucky to be blessed and live in the U.S. uh, who doesn't really have to deal with that. But it doesn't mean that we don't, you know, have sympathy. You know, like I I get, you know, I'm glad that I don't have to experience that, you know, but what's nice is that when you have your own hardships and your own degrees, whatever that is, and it's not a A comparison. comparison, Yeah. Games help you a lot. I mean, I've gone through a lot of my own trials in my life and video games were there for good and bad to make me separate real life from, you know, from the games and let me escape, I would say, and, you know, enjoy the experience and try to have fun and forget what's going on for a little bit. You know, and it, it's really nice. And I know a lot of people play games for that reason is to have a really good time and spend time with loved ones or friends and try to get away from hardships that is life at times. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I've been emailing with a bunch of different creators over the last week, just catching up. And I've just heard some really cool stories out of a lot of our European creators who are, you know, proximity a lot closer than we are here in the States to what's going on. But I don't want to throw out a whole lot of names, but I know one creator that we've had on the show, they were going out of their way to house people that were displaced, Mm -hmm. like people that are, their homes are being destroyed. They're turning one of their homes into a place where people can live and just take the next day, day by day. I think stuff like that is awesome. Like I'm just hearing so many cool stories. I'm watching videos daily of uh, a Ukrainian-based creator that we were hoping to have on the show one day, but she's been posting, just talking about everything that 
people can do and what it's meant for her and her company and her family. It's just inspiring stuff coming out of the gaming world, right? Which you don't think is very impactful in a time of conflict like this, but it's people using the skills, the resources that they have to help other people. And I think that's as complicated or as simple that it needs to be, mm-hmm. right? Like we run a podcast about at home and puzzle and mystery games. So what's the best thing that we can do? We can talk about these other people doing these really cool things and, and advocate. And that's, that's the best that we can do because I don't know if you have felt this way and I don't want to, I don't want to turn this into something about me, but I'm hoping that other people are feeling this way too. And it might be helpful to them more so than it is to me, but I've struggled a lot in this conflict watching the news. It's like, what can I do? Not how can I feel better? What can I do to make me feel better, look good or blah, 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 blah. But like, how can I, with what I do professionally, how can I be of benefit to what's going on over there? And then here's a great solution that's presented to our community and to other people. It's, well, let's make it as simple as let's make something, let's raise some money and let's get that into the hands of the people who are, you know, boots on the ground, helping people. It's inspiring, man. It's just really impactful to hear these stories and and see these things and to know that a game is making a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, we're not talking millions of dollars or whatever, but every single dollar going to UNICEF to, to help out these people who went from having a roof over their head to walking miles and miles just to keep their family safe. Like that's impactful. And the more that people can participate in that, talk about that, that's what we want. That's, that's what this is all about. We're going to continue to talk about games in our podcast next week, even as this conflict will probably still going, there's going to be another episode, but I just felt like we would be remiss if we didn't do our part, the little bit that we can to help drive people to other people who are creating solutions and helpful in this time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that this section needs to be a whole lot more than that, if I'm no. completely honest, right? Thank you guys for putting this game out there again. It's called A Magical Sunflower. If you didn't know, the sunflower is the national flower of the country of Ukraine, so that's kind of where that plays in. But grab this game, pay a couple of bucks, enjoy a puzzle, and enjoy that free of guilt, knowing that you're actually helping with your finances to people that really use it right now. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Hey, I just got back from the mail. Looks like we've got a new game to play. Oh, really? What is it? It's the new Escape the Crate game. Oh, I've been excited about this one. I'm personally a little confused. Okay. The title on the box just says Hood Unit. Okay, can you spell that? W-H-O-D-U-N-I-T. Oh, it's Who Done It, Jared. Yeah, in the new Escape the Crate game, it's the Escape Who Done It. It's like a classic murder mystery, but with a twist ending. I mean, agree to disagree on pronunciation. And by the way, it's twist, not twist. Okay. But what you can do is go over to escape the crate.com and use code Puzzling Co, Puzzling Co, all one word, and you'll get 25% off your first subscription order or any single retired box that they have. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now here in the third section that is questions for creators brought to you by the Deadbolt Mystery Society Studio. If you've not played a Deadbolt game, you totally should. We got to have a amazing creator on today that's going to talk to us about Cold Case. That's absolutely right. Yeah, we have one part of the Light in the Lab company with us today. 
really lovely individual. Super excited that we got to sit down and chat with him. And I say, let's hop right in and get to know him. So tell us a little bit about yourself and then the story behind your company. Well, I'm uh, Jim Simons and uh, our company is uh, Light in the Lab. Uh, We're a games design company based in the beautiful city of uh, Durham in the northeast of England. Happens to be a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Uh, Really beautiful place. Uh, We've been in existence for about seven years now. Uh, Started the company with my son, uh, Dr. Adam Simons. Uh, who is a doctor of games. Yeah, <laughs> there is such a thing. I think he's the only one that I know of. So uh, he did his dissertation in uh, advances in game theory and the way that, that works with uh, mobility built in there. So we started the company about seven years ago, designing games, which we were then taking around uh, various publishers, mainly in uh, Europe, I have to say. Adam's off working on his own projects at the moment, but like the lab uh, continues with a whole line of games. Uh, the one that I know we're going to talk about are the uh, the cold case mysteries, uh, which are just uh, great fun. <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> Jim, we talked about this uh, before, but you told me that you had a number of different games um, that you had developed, uh, that you pitched at game creators, game publishers. Tell us a little bit about those games and then what made Cold Case different. Okay, well, we designed about 30 different games. I mean, everything from real hardcore gamers games to, you know, light family games, kids games. Really, we had the the opportunity to to look at all these different spaces and just explore and see what, what, what was exciting for us. So we were, we were designing all these different games and taking them around to different uh, publishers, mainly going to events like uh, UK Expo or to uh, Essen or Nuremberg, which is a, which is a trade-only one, and targeting different publishers with different types of games. So they've all got their own little niche, which it's kind of important to understand where they see themselves in the marketplace. And uh, we had some interest in, in quite a few of the different games who were being tested and what have you. But we were in Nuremberg. Uh, we had a meeting with uh, Josh, Josh West from ThinkFun, who was across there. And we were discussing a completely different game. This was a, an educational game uh, for schools. And uh, we were talking about that and developing it. And almost as a kind of a, a throwaway as we were leaving, we mentioned something else that we'd started work on which at that point was kind of half a dozen bits of paper and some ideas. And um, Josh came back to us and said, you know, I've been thinking about that game and um, could you develop it on a bit more and send it to us? Uh, So having spent, you know, years on some of the other games and vast amounts of of, of time and money and effort in in doing them, uh, the one which we actually got the break on was the one that we'd done the least with. So uh, we thank Josh for, uh, for seeing the potential in it. I have to say it was something we were excited about. I don't know if it was that enthusiasm that came across, but uh, yeah, Josh picked up on it and said, can you develop that some more for us? Uh, so we did. We produced a couple of prototypes and then uh, we started off on the series. The first two are in the shops now. The third one's due out in the uh, middle of this year. And uh, we've, got, uh, we've got more in the pipeline. So there's a lot of murder mystery crime games out there, you know, um, all that do kind of the same thing. But what makes Cold Case different from the rest? Good question. We set off with 
certain ideas, uh, ideals that we wanted to to build into this. And and once you've kind of set those foundations down, it kind of defines the way that you go with the game design. So the first thing we said was we wanted to make these games as immersive as possible. And we use that word deliberately, immersive rather than realistic. We can't make it realistic. I've seen the evidence for a cold case, and it was two truckfuls. So uh, if you're happy for me to deliver two truckfuls of stuff to your door when you order a game, fine, but I don't think that's going to work for most people. So we have to uh, we have to kind of distill things down. So we want it to be immersive. We don't want to include any physical items of evidence in there, which I know one or two other uh, games do. And we want to try and avoid artificial type puzzles. Now we love escape room type games and we love puzzle uh, type games. But if we want to be immersive with this game, what we don't want is someone writing the password on a piece of paper and tearing it in two and locking it in two different safes with two different combinations, because in real life, that just just doesn't happen. So we, we steer away from that. And also, we don't want there to be any requirement for outside knowledge in here. You know, we, we wouldn't we wouldn't say use a poison and you'd have to know or you'd have to go away and, and look up how that poison works or, you know, have access to the internet to find something out. So that sounds kind of quite straightforward, but from there that drives the way that, that you have to design the game. So one of the big things is there's no gating uh, in our games. So you don't go so far and then open an envelope and that reveals another clue and then you go on a bit further and you open another envelope and, and solve that bit. Because again, that's moving away from what we want to be, which is immersive. There's no hint system. Now, that's a biggie. <laughs> because in, in, in real life, if we're trying to be immersive, you don't get a hint system. There's no secret envelope to, uh, to open to, to give you a clue or no website to go to. So. We run the risk there of people uh, failing to spot a clue and getting frustrated, which obviously we want to avoid. So in the design of the game, we build multiple fuses, as, as we term it. So there are several different ways to solve the problems within this game. And that stops you getting stuck at one point and just not being able to progress. We had that particular experience with, with another game, and it's, it's just it's hugely frustrating. That's got some spin-offs to it. It means that you can go back and play the game again or read through the game again and spot different things which you didn't necessarily see the first time. You know, and there are we build subplots into it as well to uh, to keep that level of uh, interest up there. So it, it isn't just a, a who done it, you know, maybe how they've done it or what's happening with this particular character or that character. So they are very different. Although on, on, on the surface, you look at the box and you might think, well, this is you know a type of game which we've played before. Underneath the bonnet, it really isn't. So you brought up this concept that realism doesn't necessarily make something more immersive or that the two things are different. I'm super intrigued by this. Can you speak a little bit more to that idea? Well, as I say, re realism, there, there, are, there are the physical restrictions in terms of, of what we can actually put in a box and send to you. You know, we can't send you blood-soaked handkerchiefs. We can't send you, you know, forensic samples and, and things like that. But also we, we want everything to be self-contained in there so you can do it in any kind of order. The immersive aspect is we want you to get involved with it. We want you to get involved with the characters. We want you to feel something of the way that they are. 
And again, that's that's kind of different from 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 realism. The way that we write the statements and and the way that we kind of build the characters up, we want you to to invest a bit in each of them. They're very much not cartoon type characters. If they're if they're angry or if they're evasive or if they're just Weasley type people, we want that to try. We want to get that across to you, so you get some kind of involvement at, at that level. And as I say, we we you know in terms of what we can actually put into the box, creativity comes from from boundaries. You know, as as has been well said before. And if you start off with a completely blank canvas, it can be very very difficult to actually set something down. But you set yourself real hard boundaries, and boundaries such as having no timeline through no no gating no time-based development as you go through unlike a novel or a, or a tv show or a movie really does set your mind thinking as to how you're going to achieve these things w- within a game and uh, yeah you have to get pretty creative and i think it, it it helps that process if you like you set yourself some pretty tight restrictions how do you tackle a game that doesn't move linearly yeah, that's it. You have to accept the fact that people can be coming at this from any direction and from all directions. The basic puzzles within there, the basic elements of the story are, are kind of what comes first. So you have to have strong puzzles to base this around. You have to have a strong idea. For example, with the the, the next case, which is coming out, we have two people in a bank in a small town in Ireland, and they die on the same day. So you've got questions of, are, these, are each of these a, a murder, a suicide, uh, an accident? What combinations have you got going on in there? And that gives you something to kind of get your teeth into in, in terms of uh, the puzzling side of things. And then when you start to think about the, the characters, we kind of map out not just the motivations, but the way these people feel, and, and that comes in as we write it, as we build the puzzle up. So kind of, it has to be puzzle first. It's no good having a great story if there's no puzzle in there to solve. Then once you've got that, and once you've got the, the, the basic premise laid down in something which is intriguing and something which is a bit of a challenge, then you can have some fun in getting into the heads of the, uh, of the different characters. What can you tell us about the future of Cold Case or maybe any other fun games or ideas that Light in the Lab is working on? When we started off with the, with the cold case, the first two cases, which are the ones in, in the shops there now, uh, A Pinch of Murder and A Story to Die For, uh, they're both set uh, in, in England. And the reason for that is, is quite simply, we, we were in lockdown at the time and uh, we needed to have locations where we could take photographs and, and get access to documents, which we could then use you know, as the basis for, for components in the story. So we were, we were in lockdown. We happened to live in the woods. So let's set a murder in the woods. We've got a nice river. Let's have a river in the story. We've got access to uh, uh, inside a house in a kitchen. Let's set a story in there. So as, uh, as we progress with COVID in discussions with, uh, with Think Fun, we've, we've then broadened that out. So the third case, which is due out in the middle of this year, is uh, the one which is set in Ireland which happens to be somewhere we travel to a lot. We belong to a, a mad group of uh, VW campervan enthusiasts in Ireland. So we tend to go over there uh, several times a year and, uh, and have a real good time. So we know a fair bit about Ireland, so that was a nice, uh, uh, a nice easy one for us to do, a relatively straightforward. The fourth one is, uh, is set in France, 
One of the reasons for that is uh, we were going to France on holiday in the camper van. So uh, it's set in a railway station in France, and we had a great time scouting out uh, French railway stations to get some nice locations for photographs and, uh, and get ideas. As I said before, we start off with a basic idea, you know, something intriguing about, about this, um, and we, we characterise as we go along. We also find the story tends to evolve, particularly once you start including, you know, one or two subplots in there. So you may go somewhere and see something and get an idea and think, oh, that's cool. We could incorporate that into the, uh, into the story. Fifth one is, uh, is set in the States. Just putting the finishing touches to that at the moment, I've learned all about the way DAs and defense attorneys and, uh, and the prosecution work and uh, grand juries. And uh, we have to do a fair bit of research in these things. We have good fun uh, getting into the mindset. When, when, I, when I talk about the, uh, the characterization, there's, there's also kind of an element in the story where, for example, the case which is set in France is um, the, the language there can be quite formal once you get away from the big cities. So it's kind of written with a, with a more of a, a particular cadence and a rhythm to the language, as opposed to the one which is set in the States, which is quite free and easy uh, in the way that, that everything bowls along. So we try to uh, cover, if you like, the particular setting within the framework of the game. So uh, that's, uh, that's where we are with, uh, with cold cases. Uh, we have a number of other games that, uh, that people are looking at. We've got a, a great little trivia game, the trivia game you can win without knowing the answers, which uh, we've, we've had a lot of fun with playing over Zoom and uh, we have whole classrooms of kids in the local schools playing it simultaneously and they love it. So uh, yeah, we're having to, uh, having to get some more of those uh, printed. Not that any publishers picked it up yet, but we have to keep printing them off because the schools want them. And this is a question we ask everyone. What are you currently playing? What are some games that you've been playing or you want to shout out that you've been enjoying? If that's board games, video games, whatever, we'd love to hear it. We love going to escape rooms. Is, uh, there's quite a few uh, uh, here locally. In terms of games, there was a series of, uh, a series of games called 50 Clues. Yeah, we met, uh, we met the guy at, uh, at Nuremberg. My wife and I sat and played these in uh, the, the most haunted pub in England. And, uh, you know, they're quite dark, those games. They're great fun. They're a bit darker than, than we would aim at with, uh, with Cold Case, for sure. But, yeah, that was, uh, the, that was an interesting couple of nights playing those. Fire and Adlerstein, it's, it's almost into the, the, the same sort of space as we are with Cold Case. But you do have codes and things, you know, which you, which you have to break. For, for more family, family get-togethers, uh, some of the Professor Puzzle games, you know, again, there, there are codes and things in there, but, uh, you know, the Grand Hotel, the Starline Express, those types of things, they're great fun to, uh, to, to sit around of an evening uh, when, when you've got the younger members of the family around. So, uh, yeah, we do enjoy that type of thing. There are a lot of really good games in that space. First of all, I want to say thank you very much for getting in touch. And I want to say particularly thank you for the fact that I had to rearrange this a couple of times. And I thank you for your, uh, for your patience and uh, coming back and reaching out to us. If you want to find out more about our games, we are Light in the Lab. You'll find our website, lightinthelab.com. It's got details of all the games on there. I have to say a big thank you to the people at ThinkFun. They are really good to deal with. Uh, we've approached lots of publishers with different games, and one of the worst things you can get as a designer is is kind of poor feedback. Some people don't like to hurt your feelings. 
They just want to keep as many games designers on the hook as they can for as long as they can. Think fun, you get really good feedback, objective feedback, which is what you want. It's all. It's very nice when people tell you, yeah, the games are great, the games are great. But what you really want to know is how to make them better. And we get a lot of that uh, from the guys there. So, uh, yeah, um, they're really good to work with. If anybody's designing games and you're looking for someone to take them to, I can recommend those guys. Jim, thanks so much for coming on the show. We look forward to having you back in the future, maybe with your son as well. That'd be yes. great to meet. Who doesn't want to meet a doctor of games? Oh, yeah. I, great. Great. I want that title. How do we, how do I, I, I don't know that I'm willing to go for the school for that, but if you're interested in learning more about cold case, you can find these games on Amazon, wherever mm -hmm. you're at. If you're interested in uh, learning more about light in the lab, you can go to lightinthelab.com and see all the different projects that they are, have been and are working on along with some cool research as well that they have been working on, but yep. Find them social media at light in the lab. Again, that was Jim. Wonderful, wonderful guest. Super pumped to have it. Zach, we can always use some help. Yeah. Always. You need some help. No, I'm just <laughs> Had to roast you there. I'm sorry. I do need some. Uh, if you're out there, a couple ways that you can help us download, put us on a regular download schedule. That would be amazing. Subscribe. Mm -hmm. Doesn't cost you anything to do that. You can leave us a five-star review. And that helps as we gain more credibility, more people see us publicly. Yep. Helps us out a lot. You can also uh, become one of our Patreon members mm -hmm. and then we get to hang out, which that would be dope. We can talk nerdy puzzle things and just have a blast. We can play puzzle hunts together, games together, have you on the show. Like come join the community. We're waiting for you. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you can always find us and then drop us a line at puzzling company on social medias or contact at puzzlingcompany.com If you're an old school emailer. Oh yeah. Oh yeah makes me feel old. Like, is that going to be like what I'm telling my kids one day? Like email me. Yeah. And they'll be like, no, I have already like sent that straight to your brain via the chip that was implanted there. Mm -hmm. I'll never let that happen. Never. You're old. Yes. Zach, we have a, a milestone next week. Maybe um, not a milestone, but milestone. You say not a milestone. That's totally not the right term. Something new is happening. Oh yeah. A groundbreaking event. Maybe. That's what I was looking for. I think the thing we are playing next week is unique compared to a lot of the other things we've played. Yes. What are we playing next week? We're going to be playing Zoria. The Celestial Sisters. What is that, you may ask? It's our very first covering of a video game. Mm -hmm. And as you know, as you listen to us, that's we've been playing video games many moons. Oh, yeah. And we're super excited to have one of the level designers on as a guest and to get to play from the comfort of our own screens. So super pumped to have that. Can't wait to have you all back next week to round out the month of March. April is looking like a banger. I mean, every month so far has been a quote unquote banger, as you say. But yes, I'm very excited um, for these next few episodes. And then going into April, I think it's gonna be a blast. Can't wait. We will see you all next time for Jared and Zach. This has been Puzzling Company. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been Globe Media Network Podcast.